Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show. Uh, I know I said I was going to release a weekly episode and that the focus of the show is really law enforcement related topics. But the paramedic and educator in me wanted to come on here today to talk about a story that was all over the news yesterday. LeBron James's 18-year-old son suffered a serious medical event during a workout at USC. And I wanted to offer some of my insights and experience on the topic. Now, I've seen a lot of speculation online about the cause of his cardiac arrest. And I think it would be extremely negligent of me to even begin to make assumptions without more information regarding the, the underlying cause of his medical event. And honestly, to me, it really doesn't matter what caused it. What matters to me is talking about how to manage sudden cardiac arrest to improve survivability. Because whether his heart stopped beating from a congenital abnormality or a sudden impact to the chest wall or some other cause at a layperson level of training, the initial management is the same, regardless of the underlying cause. So let's dive into this a little bit. The term cardiac arrest refers to when the heart stops beating. Once the heart stops beating, blood is no longer effectively being pumped throughout the body. And since blood transports oxygen, essential oxygen and nutrients are no longer being transported to the body cells, which is required to sustain life. Sudden cardiac arrest is a life-threatening medical condition that typically occurs with little to no warning signs. It is most often caused by a sudden disturbance of the heart's electrical conduction system. So the heart is comprised of two main systems, which work together to allow it to function. So there's the mechanical system, which is comprised of the heart muscle, the valves, and vessels. And then there's the electrical system, which is essentially, for lack of a better term, the wiring in the heart, where electrical impulses travel through the heart muscle and initiate contraction of the heart muscle to allow it to effectively work as a pump, so it can pump blood. And in a normal, healthy human heart, both of these systems are able to work effectively and symbiotically to pump blood throughout the body. Normally, the electrical impulses traveling through the heart follow a coordinated and predictable path to maintain a normal heartbeat. Now, if you're watching the video version uh, of the show, you can see the EKG strip playing on the screen right now. Uh, the impulses, they're the same shape and size and at regular intervals, which is the sign of a normal, healthy electrical system. Most often, in the case of sudden cardiac arrest, the electrical conduction system in the heart is no longer working systematically, and the result is very chaotic and uncoordinated electrical activity spread throughout the heart cells. And because this activity is chaotic and uncoordinated, the heart muscle does not contract in a coordinated sequence that allows for the heart to effectively work as a pump. So again, if you're watching the video of the show, you can see the EKG strip on the screen and you can see that the electrical activity 
being presented is extremely uncoordinated. And in fact, if we were able to see the heart muscle itself during this phase, it would appear as if it was quivering. So this rhythm is known as ventricular fibrillation. Uh, it is the most common dysrhythmia that results in sudden cardiac arrest. And it is incompatible with life and will result in death without rapid intervention. So the definitive treatment for ventricular fibrillation is defibrillation. Now, unfortunately, Hollywood doesn't do us any favors when playing out cardiac arrest scenarios on shows and movies. All right. It's usually not a scenario where we do CPR for 40 seconds and the person coughs and wakes up and we hug and all live happily ever after. Okay. In reality, it's much more complicated than that. All right. CPR is a very important part of resuscitation because it keeps the heart and the brain oxygenated for a period of time, but defibrillation is really the definitive treatment. So what is defibrillation? Well, oftentimes it's it's incorrectly described as jump-starting the heart, like jump-starting a dead car battery, all right? In reality, defibrillation is really resetting the electrical activity in the heart. The analogy that I like to use is Think about the electrical wiring in your home. And let's say one day, all of a sudden, your lights start going on and off on their own and appliances start turning on and off on their own and your electrical outlets start sparking and everything is just going haywire. So what do you do? You go downstairs to your electrical panel, you find your breakers, you turn off the main breaker and you wait a couple of seconds and you turn it back on, and you hope that by resetting the electrical supply into your house, that everything is gonna to start to work normal again. Well, defibrillation attempts to take all of that chaotic electrical activity and shut it all off at the same time, in the hopes that by doing so, the heart's electrical conduction system will begin to work the way that it was designed to. Now, the one, the other thing that we typically see in Hollywood is doctors or paramedics defibrillating a patient in flatline, which is known as asystole. So the analogy, or going back to my, my home analogy, uh, that would be the equivalent of me turning off the breaker in my home, waiting a few seconds, and then turning it back on, hoping that I could reset a malfunctioning electrical system when there's a power outage, in all reality, I can turn that breaker on and off all day long, and that is not going to do anything to correct the problem because there's no ele electrical activity to begin with. Now, left untreated, ventricular fibrillation will eventually decline into flatline, and all of that chaotic, uncoordinated electrical activity will then cease to exist. Now, it is still possible to resuscitate someone who is in flatline, but it usually requires medications or other interventions to either stimulate electrical activity in the heart or treat the underlying cause. So coronary artery disease is a significant risk factor and accounts for most cases of sudden cardiac arrest. 
But other things can cause it as well, especially in younger adults, such as congenital heart defects, changes in the heart structure from disease or infection, uh, or a condition known as commotio cordis, uh, which is usually seen in young athletes who play sports and sustain a sudden forceful blow to the chest wall, which results in a disruption of the heart's electrical system at a very key moment. Uh, and the most well-known case of this in recent history was DeMar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills, who suffered sudden cardiac arrest on the football field during a live broadcast. Right. A lot of people incorrectly refer to these incidents as heart attacks. They're two different things. Okay, your coronary arteries supply oxygen-carrying blood to your heart muscle. A heart attack is when there's a blockage in one of those arteries, which prevents the flow of blood and delivery of oxygen to an area of the heart muscle. And when the heart muscle does not receive the oxygen that it needs to survive, the heart muscle will begin to die. Now, lack of oxygen to the heart muscle can make it irritable, uh, and the death of heart muscle can affect its ability to pump effectively. So a heart attack can result in cardiac arrest, but a heart attack and sudden cardiac arrest, they are not the same thing. It's estimated that sudden cardiac arrest kills over 350,000 people a year in the United States. And a lot of those deaths can be attributed to either unwitnessed cardiac arrest or a witnessed incident where there was a delay in the performance of CPR and the utilization of an automated external defibrillator for defibrillation. Studies show that approximately 74% of sudden cardiac arrest incidents occur in the home where most people don't have defibrillators and have to wait on the arrival of emergency medical services. Now I'm gonna get a little in the weeds here, uh, but I wanna put some numbers in perspective, okay? Heart and brain muscle will begin to die after four to six minutes without oxygen, all right? The average response time for an ambulance in the United States is almost 10 minutes. Generally, it's seven minutes in urban areas, up to 12 minutes or more in rural areas. In fact, uh, New York City recently released their annual response time report for 2022, uh, which showed an average response time of nine minutes and 30 seconds for fire and EMS to respond to life-threatening medical emergencies. Now, there is a caveat to these numbers that often goes unaccounted for when these response time numbers are collected and reported by agencies and municipalities. So for example, uh, when I work as a paramedic, I get dispatched to a call and acknowledge that call over the radio and that I am responding. And now the official response time clock has started, even though I might still be walking to my paramedic truck where then I have to get in, I have to wait for the garage door to go up, pull out of the garage, and now start responding to the call on the street. Okay, once I arrive on scene, I notify dispatch that I am on location. And now the official response time clock has stopped. But I still haven't made contact with the patient yet. I have to grab my gear, 
make my way into the location, and eventually make contact with the patient. So let's say the patient is on the eighth floor of the building. Now, if there's no elevators, it's going to take me some time to walk up those eight flights of stairs. Uh, and if there are elevators, I usually have to wait for the elevator to make its way to the lobby, where then I can get in the elevator and make my way up to the patient's floor if I don't make four stops on the way up there, uh, get off the elevator, locate their apartment, and then finally make contact with the patient. So I think that the response time numbers that we see released by agencies are, are generally not accurate. And when we talk about time of incident to time of initial patient contact, I think those numbers in reality are much greater than what we generally see in the reports. Um, this also doesn't take into account the time required for you to call 911 for the dispatcher to get the information that they need to then start the process of dispatching medical help to you. So there's a lot of other factors involved here that generally don't get reported on. Now, for a patient with sudden cardiac arrest, defibrillation is most effective when it happens within the first one to three minutes of the incident. It's typically when the heart is most receptive to defibrillation attempts. So unless you are in a public area that has a defibrillator readily available, or by some miracle, police, fire, or EMS with a defibrillator is nearby when the incident happens, in a sudden cardiac arrest scenario, especially at home, you are already well behind the survival curve. Um, the chances of defibrillation being effective decreases by about 10% after the initial onset of the incident for every minute that defibrillation attempts are delayed. So statistically, only about 10% of people will survive an out-of-hospital sudden cardiac arrest because of these delays. So if it takes an ambulance 10 minutes to get to you and brain death will occur within four to six minutes without intervention and defibrillation success drops 10% for every minute it is delayed, it's easy to understand why their survival rates are so low. Now, I also understand that there's fire departments and police departments out there that are carrying defibrillators, and they are generally the first ones on the scene of an event. So that obviously is going to play a role in increasing survivability. Now, the American Heart Association, I believe, uh, were the ones that coined the phrase, the chain of survival. Okay. Um, and we can look at the chain of survival uh, from a purely pre-hospital perspective. Okay, so the chain of survival includes early recognition that an event has occurred, early activation of the EMS response system, early high quality CPR, rapid defibrillation, and early advanced cardiac life support delivered by paramedics. So just like any chain, uh, this chain is, is only as strong as its weakest link. And the DeMar Hamlin case is a great example of the results when all of the links in the chain of survival are strong, okay? We had early recognition 
We had early response of emergency medical services. We had early CPR and rapid defibrillation. And all of this led to a very successful outcome. And I would not be surprised if the same scenario held true for LeBron James's son. Uh, once again, that is pure speculation on my part. Um, but just knowing how these incidents usually happen, I would tend to say that we might find out that it was a very similar scenario. So how can we improve outcomes? Well, when most people talk about first responders, they, they think of police, fire, EMS, okay? But realistically, the true first responders are the first individuals on the scene of an incident, which are typically laypersons, bystanders, okay, who are trained in CPR and maybe have access to an AED. Um, I stress in a lot of my programs that I teach, uh, especially CPR and Stop the Bleed and civilian active shooter programs, uh, that, that if we're going to put 100% of our well-being and survivability in the hands of our emergency response agencies um, to handle a, a critical incident, uh, whether it's a, a life-threatening medical emergency or an active shooter event or some other incident that has a very time-sensitive component to it, uh, we are not taking any responsibility for our own survival. And it's the wrong mindset to have because we are rendering ourselves hopeless and unprepared until professional help arrives. Now, I understand that's what we expect of our professional first responders to deal with the incident because that's what they're trained to do. That's what they're equipped to do. Uh, and that's what we pay them to do. But the training and equipment is out there and readily available. And in these time-sensitive emergencies, it is usually the actions of laypersons before the arrival of professionals that has the biggest impact on survivability, okay? Speaking as a, a paramedic, there was always a feeling of hope uh, when responding to a cardiac arrest uh, and seeing that CPR or defibrillation was initiated before I arrived on scene uh, because it usually meant that the patient had a greater chance of survival uh, than if nothing had been done at all. So the first thing that we need to happen uh, or that would need to happen to improve sudden cardiac arrest outcomes is widespread CPR and AED training, okay? And the next is widespread deployment of Automated external defibrillators or AEDs. Okay. Years ago, uh, I can remember even when I was a kid writing opinion articles for the local newspaper, uh, and there was a big push in legislation across the country to require public places like airports and government buildings and gyms and fitness centers and schools um, to have AEDs available for public access. And uh, today, now, most of the major AED manufacturers 
have models which are designed for home use. And since the overwhelming number of sudden cardiac arrest cases occur at home, I don't think it's unreasonable to consider a home defibrillator uh, as an essential piece of emergency equipment, uh, just like you would a, a fire extinguisher. All right. Uh, I, I do always try to approach these topics in a sensitive manner uh, to not seem like a, a fear-mongering salesman who's looking to make a, a quick buck, you know, off the misfortune of others. Um, but I do believe it is important to be informed um, so you can make the best decision. And so that's why I laid out the statistics and the numbers and the science for you so you can decide for yourself um, what you feel is necessary. If you have any questions about home AEDs or which equipment is most appropriate for an emergency medical kit for your home, uh, since most first aid kits out there just don't cut it, uh, I will be putting some information up on our website. Uh, you can visit us at www.attconcepts.com. Uh, that will hopefully answer a lot of these questions. Um, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you want more information or if you're looking to purchase an AED for your home or business. Okay. Until next time, stay well and thanks for listening.